welcome home. This is Audio EXP for the 19th of September 2020, and the title of this episode is Madness. There's a 28-page free preview of Monty Cook Games' We Are All Mad Here, available from the publisher's own store. The game uses Cypher, which I recently went on record as saying is my current favourite system. More on that later. And We Are All Mad Here was written by Monty Cook Games' Shanna Germain. She co-owns the company and is the creative director. Now, the name of the RPG is not to be taken lightly. We Are All Mad Here is a quote from Alice in Wonderland. Alice says, But I don't want to go among mad people. And the Cheshire Cat replies, Oh, but you can't help that. We are all mad here. I'm mad. You're mad. Now, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was written in 1865. We're coming up to the book's 155th birthday. Safe to say, society had a very different understanding of what madness is or could be back then. There's a somewhat famous meme that occasionally does the rounds on Facebook, listing all the conditions which could get you admitted to an asylum in the 19th century. Drinking too much tea, if you were a woman, could do it. Anyone could be overcome by religious excitement, which is basically disagreeing with any common belief. Or you might be suffering from a case of overexertion and find yourself committed. Now we're beginning to realise how little we know about the human mind. Mental health might be connected to a chemical imbalance in your body, to events entirely outside your control. And like it or not, we all exist on a spectrum of learning and communication. Thankfully, this podcast isn't a go at Monty Cook or Shanna Germain for mishandling a touchy subject. The RPG We Are All Mad Here is firmly set in fairy tales and folklore, and the book contains a chapter on mental health and gaming, and that entire chapter is included in the free download. So, even if you're not using the Cypher system, grabbing a free preview of We Are All Mad Here might be a helpful thing for any gamer to do. Just don't, you know, overexert yourself. There was a Geek Native survey write-up this week which skirts on this issue and upset some people. Sorry about that. I never set out to ruffle feathers, although I concede I do like to explore interesting questions. So, what happened? Earlier this year, I had some Geek Native merch from the Redbubble store to give away. It was a canvas bag, ideal for carrying hardbacks around, illustrated with a cute little mind flare playing with Snapchat. Yeah, welcome to the weird and wonderful world of Geek Native merch. To enter that giveaway, you just had to say whether you thought flesh-eating or mind-controlling horrors like mind flares are too scary for D&D. Now, I suspect if you're listening to this podcast, then you know mind flares have been a key part of D&D since their inception, and they are far from the worst of the terrors the game can throw at players. However, in this survey, more than 10% of people voted to say that they thought mind flares are too scary for D&D. And this upset people. We've seen this before, I'm sure. People didn't like the idea of the combat wheelchair, so it's no surprise that a mere hint of a challenge to the presence of a D&D staple like the Mind Flare would provoke an adverse reaction. Honestly, I think these angry outbursts are counterproductive. No one is coming to threaten your D&D, especially not if you demonstrate you are a well-adjusted individual. Now, 
let me tie those two threads together. This week, Wizards of the Coast published a new adventure setting, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden. It's the Forgotten Realms adventure, but unlike previous D&D experiences, this game has a horror feel to it. Rime of the Frostmaiden digs into the sense of isolation that winter can bring, and it's possible to run it in a way that really ramps up feelings of paranoia. And of course, with influences like John Carpenter's The Thing, you can have as much gore in it as you want. Third-party creators, people who sell products via the DMs Guild, had a gift with Ryan of the Frostmaiden. The area of Icewind Dale is well-documented, and the tone of the adventure was announced months ahead of time by Wizards of the Coast. As a result, there have been a steady stream of DM Guild supplements for Icewind Dale, and Geek Native has given those a one-touch treatment with a single summary post. However, I'm pleased to see supporting posts like Creating Terror Without Being a Jerk by James Hake on D&D Beyond. That's a connection. Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, might first have got headlines for exposing the meta plot that's been running through all the Wizards of the Coast adventures, but I think it could change gaming groups' approach to D&D in other ways. Those ways are around maturity and tackling more thoughtful subjects than Dungeon Cross. Yes, I know there's an official WotC supplement called Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And yes, I don't recall seeing a single tweet suggesting that wizards shouldn't be using words like mad. So perhaps this is all overblown. However, the lack of any real depth on issues like madness in that Waterdeep adventure is why I think Icewind Dale, rather than anything before it, might be the setting that challenges players in new ways. There's one other connection between the launch of Icewind Dale and issues that get some people riled up. With the launch of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, we enter a new Adventurer's League season. It's called Plague of the Ancients. In the free download, Plague of the Ancients introduces new and entirely optional rules for handling racial modifiers in D&D. We're expecting Tasha's Cauldron of Everything to bring these to hardback, and these Adventurer rules might just be a set of lightweight alternatives, but we have these ones now. Simply put, racial modifiers are intended for adventurer-level individuals. Average examples of any fantasy race don't tend to have these bonuses. Secondly, these bonuses can be given to any attribute that you want. I think this is a simple and elegant solution. I've seen two forms of complaints against the approach. One of the complaints is that these optional rules effectively get rid of races, and now all characters are just human variants. I don't believe that at all. It might be true if you see your character as a spreadsheet of numbers to manage, but surely that would have always been the case. I've also seen complaints that suggest this approach will empower mini-maxes. In other words, some races do better with modifiers than others. And if you can place the modifiers against any attribute, then people will pick races just for the big numbers. So what? I think if you're happy to play with min-maxes, then all this is fair game. I am not happy to play with people like that, and I doubt anyone I game with would even consider the approach. Now, before I stop talking about D&D for this podcast, I do quickly want to highlight an original idea from a tiny publisher called Sewer Brew Games. They've imagined an alien symbiote like Marvel's Venom, as a patron for a D&D warlock. This is a patron that lives in the body of the warlock and gives them a growing hunger for flesh. Sure, you might not like it, but I think it's different. 
unworkable. I think it's another example of how flexible 5e can be. Outside of D&D, there's now B&B, not bed and breakfast, but bunkers and badasses. This RPG is from Nirvana Games, a new name on my radar, but it's the official tabletop game for Borderlands. That's you know, the gearbox shooter. The trailer for it barely makes any reference to the rules and instead focuses purely on vibe, atmosphere and attitude. That also works for me. The game is supported with a mini range, collectible gun cards and even a battle grid game board. I hope it does well. And if you decide to make the investment, please let us know what you made of Nirvada's efforts. A surprise investment in the world of tabletop games this week comes from the Amazon-owned streaming platform Twitch. Twitch has co-founded a new Cortex Prime RPG called Into the Motherlands. Into the Motherlands is not just an RPG, but will also be an actual live play show that will run on Twitch. It's also a creative team led by people of colour, and if the team wasn't the very best people for the job, then I doubt they would have got a single penny from Twitch. In case you've missed it, that's another score for Cortex Prime and their well-connected owners' fandom. Surely this is another reason that fandom should and will work on a Cortex supporting overlay for Twitch. The technology continues to be impressive. There's one of those new NVIDIA graphics cards ordered for Geek Native HQ, although sadly it won't be going to this blogger's machine. The upgrade is going to a member of the team who spends far more time on Twitch than I do. I did actually appear on Twitch this week. Over at twitch.tv GM's Cut, you can watch me answer questions about Geek Native for about an hour at the Rollmongers podcast show Attack of Opportunity. This is where I play Cypher in that number one slot, albeit only for now. In the show, Jeff and I do talk about the technology developments shaping the RPG genre. I briefly mentioned Facebook's new Oculus Quest 2 since the news about the VR headsets had leaked by then. You don't even need the PC for them. You could tether these new lightweight VR headsets to an app on your phone. So if we think virtual desktops and Twitch actual plays are getting impressive in 2020, imagine what 2021 could do if virtual reality becomes much more affordable and improves in quality and experience. A potential game changer, right? A potential game changer that I was lucky enough to get in advance of is Riot Games' Telstone's King's Gambit. This is a high quality tabletop game and a jewel of memories. Thumbs up from me. The game changing element though is that Riot Games, known for League of Legends, is getting into tabletop games. Mind you, there are also rumours this weekend that the Trump administration is looking into both Epic Games and Riot because of their Tencent investments. Tencent is a Chinese company. It's hard to imagine not seeing my American friends on TikTok, but it's even harder to imagine no Americans on Fortnite. Lastly, I want to call out Love and Monsters. This is a monster apocalypse movie that, because of the lockdown, will now go straight to digital. It's not going to be locked to any one platform, it's going all over the place, and it has Michael Rooker as a cool hunter character. The monster part is easy, but what about love? Well, two lovebirds get pulled apart during the initial monster outbreak at the start of the movie, and then they get in contact again over the radio. The guy, played by um, Dylan O'Brien, decides it's worth it to make the trek across monster-infested country to get to his sweetheart. And on that note, let's call it a wrap. Keep safe. Stay out of melee and monster range, and see you next week.